You are listening to a Called Collective podcast, where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. To learn more about the Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org, or check us out on Instagram at the Called Collective. Welcome to week five, episode five of the Coffee and Calling podcast. We are so happy to have all you back. Of course, me and Griffin appreciate you so much. And Griffin, you want to give this high five thing? You know, see if we can make it the last one. That one was pretty dang good. I think that's, boost up the audio for that one, Tyler. Yeah, edit that. that. Make it sound loud. But um, Griffin, can you uh, introduce our special guest for today? I would love to. We are joined today by Pastor Forrest Brown. Um, He's a pastor of Exit Church in Gas City. Forrest, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, uh, I'm Forrest. And like Griffin said, I I co-lead a church in Gas City named Exit Church. I'm married. Uh, Danielle's my wife. We have our first child. just hit one uh, in July, Eden. So cute. She's, it's a lot of fun. Um, I did, this is a confession. I thought I was going to be a terrible dad before, until the kid could like play chess. And then I thought, I mean, <laughs> tag me in. Yeah? But now that, uh, I can do this. yeah. Because uh, before I had a kid, if you, if you hand me a child, I would honestly say, no, thank you. Like, and, and I'm not trying <laughs> to be rude. And I love kids. It's just like, I don't trust myself with, with something. I'm mm-hmm. going gonna, gonna to drop this thing. Person. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but no, but when it's yours, man, it's different. And mm. it's just so much joy. I was actually telling my wife last night, I was genuinely looking forward to the next day because she's going to be laughing. She's like even crying. I thought that would be a problem. This is the best because you get to comfort your kid and she'll like snuggle in and just anyways. Yeah. That's about me. That is. It kind of reminds me. I'm also married and everyone inevitably keeps asking, when are you going to have kids? My my family is is the uh, most egregious culprits. Hey, I'm ready to be a granddad or my, like my daddy's like, I'm ready to be like a, like a grandfather. He's like, when are you guys going to have kids? I, you got like free babysitting over here. Lisa can watch your kid. I'm like, no, no, I'd like to pay off some student loans first. Mm-hmm. And right now we're dog sitting for them. If I can't handle watching a dog <laughs> for six days. That's uh, true. That, if you can't handle a dog, you probably shouldn't take nope. on a person. Take on a nope. human being. Nope. Yeah. I'm not ready. When you talk about the crying thing, this is so bad, but I, I can't control it. But anytime a baby burst into tears, I just start laughing because <laughs> it's devious. the most like, it's the most out of nowhere, but like, they're like, they'll like fall and they'll like hesitate. They'll just be sitting there. Does this hurt or just, not? And then they'll think of they'll be like, okay, I'm going to cry. <laughs> it's just like, and, it, and sometimes it's the most random thing. And I'm like, what is, and, and, and I just like the, I guess it's like the birth, almost like a knee jerk reaction of just, oh my gosh, that's hilarious. But I'm sure, like you said, if it was my own child yeah. falling on the ground, I wouldn't be like, oh, God. <gasps> well, you know, it's funny you say that. It, I don't usually laugh, but there was a time recently that I felt, and I felt terrible for laughing. But uh, so I was getting the tub ready and she's, she can walk around. We have it kind of baby proof so we can let her, you know, take ours off her for like 10 seconds at a time, which is a new thing. <laughs> well, she, she runs away from me into her bedroom and it's dark in there. And so I turn around to go get her. Mm-hmm. And in the time between when I turned around to go get her and when she went to the bedroom, she found my wife's shorts and she put them on her face, which she's <laughs> like to do this now. And then she, and they're black. And then she walks around blindfolded, essentially. Oh, and she walks right into a wall and falls oh. over. And there's a pause. And 
It was a little funny. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I felt terrible about it, but and she was okay. She was okay. She was. Fine. She was, fine. She was it wasn't like a. If it was a big hit, you would. You. It's not funny, but anyway. I will. I will tell you that. I will warn you though. Uh-huh. Uh, if you laugh when your child cries, you might feel fine, but your wife might not feel fine. <laughs> oh yeah, I know. And so you need to be real, enemy yeah. number one. You maybe need that. to like look her in the eye and get get the yeah. Can I laugh? Just hold it. Yeah. In. Is this okay? Yeah. Okay. I won't be laughing when it's because they pooped their pants. I'll tell you that. I'd be like, gosh, oh dang my it. goodness. <laughs> that even that's not as bad as I thought. I'll be on. My wife showed me these videos of dad changing diapers and like gagging or throwing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, so far, so, oh, there, well, there was one time that was like a poop soup situation where it like bubbled over and it was, oh. there was no way to do it without getting in, you know? Yes. But other than that time, I think I've been, I've been pretty good. It's been good. Yes. When that happens, I'll keep those long gloves that people wash dishes in. I'll keep those on lock and just. All right, time to change the diaper. Honestly, I think you're probably going to have at least half a dozen times before they hit one where it's just like, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to go into the shower. Like just this. Rinse this off. It's just like, just po- yeah, like hazmat situation. <laughs> this is anything. Yeah. There's actually this funny story where um, my dad loves telling people this like story about me. But Uh-oh. I was like, I think I was like nine years old. Um, and I go to the bathroom. And I remember doing this, but my dad thinks it's, it's the funniest thing. Um, but I went to the bathroom and. I, it was like one of the first times I had like one of like the biggest like poops of my life. And I straight up took a shower afterwards. <laughs> yeah, well. And I come out, my mom goes, did you take a shower? And I'm this nine-year-old kid, like super like little chubby fella and everything. I'm like, yeah, it was so bad. I dropped a nuke in there. I had to, I had to clean myself after that. And my parents just are rolling on the floor. I would be too. Yeah, that's great. But- is, but make sure Tyler, make sure to put the the graphic content on the, yeah. the advisory this oh, time. Boy. You know, trigger warning, um, poop. Is, but um, how have you um, have you enjoyed your time since like coming in, being in the Grand County kind of community, um, or Gas City community? Yeah, it's been great. Um, I would say it's been a, a, a high a high time for for Danielle and I, and mm. uh, largely largely because of the Shirley's. They're just mm. great people. I work with Tyler Shirley and his wife and his wife Andrea. They're obviously a team, and um, it's just as awesome to do ministry with them and to do life with them. We get together every other Tuesday just to connect with our families, and um, it's just been a real joy to to do do to do ministry with them. Um, don't get me wrong, my wife and I grew up in Utah, and so there's like both of our immediate families are out there having a kid, mm. and and then right when we were having a kid, COVID hit, and so you couldn't like have as much people come out and visit her. It's just a little different feeling. And so, um, and everyone feels a little isolated during COVID. Mm-hmm. So there's been some like, there's been some downsides, but I would say that overall it's been, it's been a sweet season. Um, we love it here. We love the people. We love the community. We love the church. We love the work. Um, and at the end of the day too, uh, this is, I guess this does segue in, but we, we feel called here. And so um, even if I didn't feel that way, but I did feel called, we would be here until until it was really obvious. Before we ha- hop into your um, calling story in its fullness, I'd like to ask a question. If you could have coffee with any biblical character other than Jesus and just sit down and talk with him, who would you pick and why? Mm. There is quite a bit. 
Yeah, well, I'm 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 debating between uh, you know, if I couldn't sit down with Jesus, I probably would pick Peter, and the reason being is because I think Peter's the closest to Jesus, and so mm. uh, I would love to just be able to sit with him and just talk about okay. You had three years of being like best buds with God of heaven. So how did that, what was that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what was that really like? Yeah. Like, I want to know, I want to know everything about that. Like, I, what did you not write down? You know, not even a snore. Yeah. Not even like the theology, but like, just like your friend Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what were the in-between moments like? Just go fishing together. Sense of humor. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to just, to just hear Peter kind of gush about Jesus. And I imagine he would. And so yeah. I think that'd probably be how I choose it. Mm. Um, yeah. I was debating between that. Like, there's other people you could talk to about, like the deep things of the faith, and uh, which which I, which I love. But I don't know. I think the, what the Lord has given us is sufficient. But I wouldn't mind having an insider into. Yeah, it's better than my answer. <laughs> I said pilot. Pilot. Interesting. <laughs> I wanted to see like, did he have like a oh no moment? Dan said it, yeah. and I. What do you mean he's gone? What do you mean this don't? Where's the body? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. What, what are you, you talking about? What do you mean Jesus is gone? What are you, what are you talking about? <laughs> I we, thought I washed my hands of that. Like, what are we doing? We'll leave that in episode. Well, you two. imagine yeah. his wife being like, "I told you." Remember when I had that dream? <laughs> yeah. That's what I said. That's why the. I love like happy wife, you, happy life. I love how you said that about Peter, though, because um, I often think this is something over the summer that I really wrestled with. Um, is the aspect of those disciples, and especially, like you said, Peter. But when Jesus ascends and the angel looks at him and says, why are you still looking at this guy? Like, go mm. and be. And at that wrestling season of not just their, not just, you know, their teacher leaving them, but their friend um, leaving them. And how many times I think maybe they would sit there doing ministry and Peter just going, man, I just wish my buddy Jesus was here. Like it's almost like I sit there like the endearing friendship of like when I'm far from some of my best friends, like I'll sit there and be like, man, I just, I, they always support me this way really well. And I just wish they were here with me. And like, yeah, just Peter having that friendship with Jesus and knowing him like deeply like that, like, man, and that might even be just a call for us to have like that type of relationship with Jesus. Obviously, you know, he's not on this earth walking around um in that human form right now but in the sense of lord like i i really desire your presence as much as i would desire my greatest friend so i think sometimes people have a difficulty seeing jesus as a friend i think that's something that might be a little bit lost um just like the intimacy that would be available to you and like that connection of knowing jesus like Better than you know the best friend you can think of. I mean, better than you would know Grant, knowing Jesus more than you know Ty- like Tyler, and having that friendship, like that genuine, like yes, you are my Lord, you are my God, but you're also like my best friend. And like, I, like, how how would that dynamic change, like the church today? That's something I wonder about sometimes. But yeah, yeah, it seems like uh, it's easy to think of Jesus as an idea only, mm-hmm. not as a person. Wow, uh, it'd be nice. It, one of the privileges I think of being in ministry on the road with Jesus is you can't forget yeah. that he's a man and he's a person mm-hmm. in front of you. You know, like the humanity of, of Jesus is, is like always right in front of you. Mm. Uh, yeah. That, that being said, I sh- I would also love to hear 
I just, when I read the, the stories of the text, I just have to imagine that they just always felt so uncomfortable with Jesus. Like, it doesn't matter what Jesus, like he's either healing on the Sabbath or turning over tables at church or he's railing on the Pharisees or he's crazy. touching, he's touching uh, people with contagious diseases. Yeah. And you're like, I'm sleeping next to this guy. You know, it's always something. I imagine they were just like, yeah, it's like about 18 months, but I imagine they're saying something like They're warmed that. up like, eventually. You just kind of go with the flow. You know, he's just going to do whatever he's going to do. And it, eventually you figure out even if it's awkward on the front end, it's going to work out because it's Jesus. The, what we were just in a Texas last Sunday where Jesus crashes a funeral and then he starts by telling the, the grieving mother, don't cry, which I'm like, I just don't, I just can't Whoa. imagine saying that to someone at a funeral. You know, like, don't <laughs> cry at your own child's funeral. And I imagine her being like, who are you? You have a huge, you're crashing my funeral with a huge number of people with you. And then he goes and talks to the, the dead person as if they're going to respond. And I remember, if I don't know Jesus yet, I'm just thinking like that. Isn't how this works. This and then, it, and then it's thousand people. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, you're like, no, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. So when it, yeah. Dave Smith, one of our professors here was breaking down to us one time, the flow of, uh, um, the flow of like plot in the one section. Oh man, I'm blanking on it right now, but pretty much it's when Jesus, they first see him walk on the water. Yeah. And they're like, Whoa, what's that? And, and the to keep going. And then they keep going. <laughs> yeah. And then they go to the island where the demon-possessed man is with like legions. And then he then proceeds to cast out le- the legion into a herd of pe- pigs that runs off a cliff and, and into the water of pigs <laughs> and, and kills themselves. And then I'm just thinking of the disciples seeing this like, what is going on right now? <laughs> and then the people come running out like, you need to leave. Yeah, you need to leave. Like, <laughs> like you said, like this, just like, whoa, that's in, like just getting used to being around yeah. this figure of like, whoa. It's just like never a dull moment, always on your toes, <laughs> never real comfortable. I mean, even if you're Peter, right? Mm-hmm. What, who am I? Eventually you get around to Peter and Peter's like, you're the Lord, you're the Christ. He's like, that's right. Great answer. I'm going to go die. He's like, no, that's not Satan, right? And it's like, that turns so fast for me. (laughs) Still, my favorite is um, when they ask him about the one parable and he's like, why are you still so dull? (laughs) Do you not get this, man? uh, In my mind, I imagine Jesus doing like the face palm, like kind of a lot. Like, how'd you get this? All right. Well, we'd like to ask you, for you, kind of your journey into this call to ministry. Um, I know we said this a little bit before the podcast, but this called collective goes out to pretty much like the main like audience we kind of seek is like high schoolers or people that mm. are wrestling with their call to ministry and people that are just kind of walking into it. And this is just an opportunity for us to have people come on and share their calls into ministry and their walks. Um, so these students can like see that like they're not alone in whatever setting there is that people have walked where they have walked and everything right now in their life. So we just want to ask you, like, what is your call to ministry and what was kind of like those events leading up to it? Sure. Yeah. Um, I kind of think of my call to ministry on two separate rails, like a train going on two rails. And, uh, the first starts with kind of a confession, if I'm being honest. And, uh, essentially I had a, I was involved in church really young and for whatever reason, the Lord has just been good to me in that 
I just remember the story. So like, I remember the text just fine. I remember being in Sunday school and it was like my second year in Sunday school and we were learning about Noah's Ark again. And I'm like, you literally talked about this last year. And I, <laughs> and I would come to find out that they talk about Noah's Ark every year, which is, I mean, fine. But for me, it was like, I, it, so it's always been, I always just retained all that. I was involved. I We had a three-year confirmation program in my, in my church and it was an amazing youth group in my church. The guy that mentored me, Jeff Stevenson, amazing man, uh, Fedge. <laughs> It'll, this is his name backwards. You went by that. And, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And um, so I went through the confirmation program for three years and then, that's seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. Then tenth, eleventh, and twelfth grade, you mentor the the people going through confirmation. So I did all that, and then I was in college, and I was still hanging out with high school students, mentoring the same ones I've been pouring into for a while. So I had like a like a corporate rhythm of, of engaging with the church that was robust. I think people would look in and say that, but I don't think I had healthy private rhythms of like being in the Word with a consistency that was like I could be confident and proud of, and and I also didn't feel like. It was alive to me. And so this is where the confession comes in. I remember I was at church one Wednesday night by myself in the sanctuary. And I had had a crush on this girl for years. And it wasn't working out, right? But then we started hanging out a little bit more. And at the same time, I'm kind of like doing what a lot of people do in this age. Like, Lord, what do you want from me? Like, What do you want from my life? And I'm sitting there playing the piano by myself. It's like me and the Lord time. And that girl walks in. And it was a sign, right? <laughs> yeah, God, yeah. this is it. Yeah, yeah. I was wrong. Well, well. I actually, I mean, hindsight, I said that God is tricking me and and do what what He really wanted me to do. This is the way to get the right get get the what He wants from me, right? Yeah. So, anyways, fast forward, uh, things are going great with her uh, as friends, and we'd hung out like a week and a half every day, and then that we hadn't hung out this like ninth day in a row. And she calls me and said, "Hey, will you come over to my house? I want to talk to you about something, but I kind of want to talk to you about it in person." And I thought she was going to tell me that she liked me. And I got into, I got to her house and she said, kind of nervously, like, um, I was just wondering if you would, if you want to be my accountability partner. <laughs> and, I, and I was like, oh man. Yeah, of course I, of course I would. Yeah. You know, no. they're just like not in the word every day. And, you know, I'm just like, <laughs> this is like a whole different world right now. Like you, you get friend zone, like you. Oh yeah. Oh, it was a accountability totally. zone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was. She ended up dating my brother, is the truth. Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, anyways, but well, I'll tell you what, over the next six months, I could have counted on one hand the days I missed reading the Bible because I'm going to talk to her about that. Mm. I don't think that we ever had a accountability conversation ever after that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> so, so, but in that time of like reading it every day, a bunch of things happened. The first, uh, something, I, a bunch of things clicked for me. I think the first one really was I've been reading the text and I'd find something that bumped, that bumped into the culture of the church I was in. And I just assumed that if I, if there was conflict between the text and the culture of my church, that my leaders, they just knew better than me mm. in that I just wasn't getting it right. And then something clicked where I thought may, maybe the culture around me isn't right. And the text is just right. Mm. And maybe it, maybe it means what it says. And when that happened, man, it came to life. Wow. Uh, so that was, that was one thing that happened. And then the next thing I realized was, I had been reading the Bible like a Twitter account and not like a book, mm. right? Like I, I was confused on why this book isn't that big. How can I read the Harry Potter series in like a month and a half, which is like a amazingly large amount mm. of content. And yet I can't seem to like make my way through the first five books of the Bible. Like mm. what is wrong? And I realized that um, I wasn't reading them the same. I, I was enjoying the story of these other books I was reading, but I wasn't like engaging with the story. And so I started to read it a bit quicker like a story uh, and get to know the people. And it was awesome. Mm -hmm. So many things came to life. Like wow. what we're talking about now, like where 
you realize like, oh, wow, it would be hard to follow Jesus because he would do things that upset people and you're always with them. Like, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so these, these things are happening and I'm in this rhythm of reading the Bible every time, all, all the time. And this girl's faded out in a, in a, in a bit. But I'm still reading. And mm-hmm. it, and eventually, I remember there was a week or maybe a week and a half where I want to say one person every day from different spaces. Like the guy that I'm buying bagels from says, so uh, you're a pastor, right? Or someone else, some random person would be like, hey, are you going to be a pastor? Or then someone at my church would say, I think you should be a pastor. And the first day that this happened, uh, I remember saying, no, no. <laughs> and then by like the seventh time this happened from all different people, not like they knew each other. I said like, I kind of threw my hands up like, I guess, I guess I'm going to be do that. You know, that was, <laughs> so that was the one reel. But the truth is I'm more stubborn than that. Uh, so I think I felt called at that time, but I didn't like take action on that. Mm. But all the while I'm volunteering with high school students working with my church and we called them our kids. And it was pretty, about to go on the summer retreat and a few months, maybe a month or two before that retreat happened. One of our kids, I got to call it like 2 a.m. One of our kids had taken his own life. And uh, that sucked. And I worked at Chase Bank at the time. And I, I was carpooling with somebody. And so I needed to drive them up to the branch because their car was up there. And I drove them up. I let them know what's going on. Got them, got them to the office. Let my boss know. Drove back home. Changed back into my casual clothes. I was driving to church. And I remember, I remember what I was thinking. What I was thinking was, I don't know if I can take tomorrow off too because it's not technically immediate family. And so, and then I interrupted my own thought process and thought, what are you doing? It just doesn't matter. Like what you're ta- what who cares about this the bank? Like mm-hmm. this is real stuff that's happening. Yeah. And that week I I kind of had to recalibrate my life and ask, okay, what's important to me? What am I actually doing in my time? Mm. And I said, here's what's important. If God is real, he's got to be number 1. And then he gets to set the agenda if he's number 1. So then after that it's like people, right? Immediate family, maybe the church, friends, even enemies. And then after that, it's like self-sustaining behaviors, eating, drinking, sleeping, working. And then I said, what am I doing in my time? And what I found out is eating, sleeping, drinking, working was easily number one. And then it was friends and family and enemies and people. And then it was church stuff, even though I was like, by all accounts on the outside, looking really committed. And I realized my life was just, lit- was literally totally upside down mm. from what I said was important to me. That still wasn't enough. Uh, I went to that retreat that summer and there, it was the last day, last full day of camp. And I, I won't say his name uh, on the podcast, but there was a young man there who, when I was in high school, I would have not liked this guy. He would low ride his pants, didn't respect authority, didn't respect women. And, uh, but he was having a hard time at camp. I could tell he wasn't connecting. And it was the last day of camp and I'm a leader. So I went and went out and sat down with him. And I, I remember sitting down and saying, hey man, how's it going? He's like, eh, not that great. Mm. I said, you know, is it that are, they be, are people being too authoritative with the rules and kind of like a constant killjoy? And he's like, no. It's actually better in that regard than usual. Like, oh, well, what's up? He said, you know, I think the point of these camps is the main message at night. And I just feel like it doesn't connect. I just don't feel like it's connecting with me. And I remember feeling like such an idiot. Like that is, that's a great, that's a great answer. You know, yeah. I had assumed way off base. And, I, and then the bell rang to go to the last, the last final service. We go, guy preaches, the music starts, worship starts, or praise music starts. And, um, I remember praying, Lord, use me. And there's that same young guy sitting in the back. So I went and sat with him. How about tonight? And he's like, nah. And I knew that he was in between party culture and church culture, right? Mm. And I'd seen a lot of my friends fall off the boat to party culture, a lot. Uh, 
And I remember thinking, like, he's going to give us, ask him, are you going to come back? He said, probably not. And I remember I said, can I pray for you? He said, yeah, sure. And But before I could start praying for him, my mind was racing. My mind moves kind of fast. And I was thinking about the kid that took his own life and this guy and how he was given up to. And I know maybe he's not earnestly seeking, but like he's taken a week out of his summer and his friends aren't here. And you said, ask, seek, and knock. And I don't get it. And my heart broke for this kid. And I started bawling. And I'm not really an emotional person. You can ask my wife about that. Uh, and I, I couldn't pray for him. I just, I couldn't say a word. I was just like a mess. And I eventually was like, sorry. And he looked at me like, weirdo. <laughs> he got yeah. up and left. And then I sat there by myself and cried my eyes out for this kid for like two songs straight until I realized I wouldn't even like this kid. In my heart, but my heart's in this. Like, I, mm-hmm. I love these kids. And so immediately upon getting back from camp, I told my youth pastor over and said, hey, I think I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm all in. I'm gonna, I quit my job. I moved out of my apartment, moved back in with my folks. Took a job back at the movie theater I used to have working with high school students. Mm. And I leaned in like full-time volunteer mode uh, wow. and kind of never looked back. So that was that was uh, the deal. And by the way, it was 10 years later when I finally could do vocational ministry. Mm. Uh, so I did 10 years of like bivocational, uh, just every spare minute on the, on this, on all the margins, all in. That's mm. the story. It's kind of long. Wow. I feel bad. I took a no, 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 no. That was okay. incredible. That was incredible. Wow. So like, that's something really unique. I want to just talk about that last part. The whole doing ten years of bivocational bi- ministry. When we think of like, kind of like, I'm saying this for anybody listening from the academic world sure. of someone who gets called into ministry. You know, you go to college, you do your four years, and then you get ordained within some denomination and everything. Um, but you have this unique route where you were like, you know what, I'm going to, I know I'm supposed to be doing this. And I know even like I'm supposed to, you were doing it here. I mean, in the spot that you were at and everything. So it's like, so I'm just going to, you know, quit this job and then kind of go all in with the ministry stuff, which is amazing and awesome. And I would just like, want you to like, almost like a question of like, you know, how do you think that really formed you those 10 years? Like going oh, into man. that 10 years of how oh, so doing bivocational. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so many things happened in those 10 years. Uh, I got married mm. uh, for one. But um, so I should, I should, I should say this is in Utah. So there, there literally is zero seminaries in Utah. Oh, yeah. Zero Christian seminaries. So there isn't the same kind of opportunity of like being in the Midwest uh, in terms of going the, the track that you just mentioned. Wow. And so when I first felt called, I thought I really, I literally sat down and thought there are two tracks in the ministry. There's the track of you just start doing ministry until mm-hmm. eventually you have ministry experience sufficient to just get going and do the work, do the, do the work in a, in a vocational sense. The other lane is to do what you just described. You go through the academic lane, you get the credentials. Mm-hmm. And I was a bit of a cynic. So the time I said my, my attitude was you get a piece of paper that says, I've read the Bible and then you can, then you can <laughs> actually teach it. Uh, and that's, I was reading in Acts and uh, I was reading about the Sanhedrin looking at the apostles and Peter and John and saying, Look at these ordinary, unschooled men, and yet they've been with Jesus. And I thought, I was thinking, that's the track I want. Um, and it didn't exactly work out that way. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe that's like a short version of, of what could be a long story. Uh, I tried to break into to full-time vocational ministry for a while, and mm. and it just didn't work. Uh, so, um, and I think at first I was a little bit bitter about that. Mm. Uh, I had a number of friends that did get into ministry. Even friends, by the way, that like are losing the faith right now. I'm being honest. Oh, wow. People that I love dearly, but uh, 
they were they were somehow getting vocational jobs and like mm-hmm. I wasn't. And but at the same time, God did such amazing stuff. Uh, I got to, I started working with these middle school students whom I love. I still see them as my kids and just like amazing amazing opportunities in ministry. Uh, fruit like good mm-hmm. fruit coming out and. And I grew a ton. I had the opportunity to like build content for middle school students, build content for high school students, build content for college students, lead services for each of those age groups. Wow. In that same time, the Lord used me to start a homeless ministry, mm-hmm. which became a young adult ministry, which I learned I learned a ton from that. And I didn't even set out to do that. I just was being like, man, God says love the poor. And I don't even know a single person who probably qualifies. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so, and then I was also, I was also, in this same season, by the way, I was, because I'm reading the Bible thinking maybe my church culture is wrong, it's easy to feel jaded. Mm-hmm. Like, and you can almost run on that fire for a while. Uh, and yeah. it's not great fuel to use though long-term no. for ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So, and I figured that out in that season as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole time I'm working at the, at the movie theater full time. And when I go on retreats and things with the youth, I lose hours. And so I've got to go use a credit card. So I'm floating on credit card debt. And I, after, I think it was about four years, I maxed out and I had to change gears. And so I, I did have to go to school, but because there's no seminaries in Utah, I needed to get a bachelor's degree in something. My father, uh, who lived across the country from me, uh, he called and, asked, and offered to uh, pay for me to go to undergrad, but he wanted me to get a degree that had a backup plan. Mm. So I got a degree in business while doing ministry on the side. While I'm in college, I got asked and invited to help with a church plant as like a co-pastor mm-hmm. or assistant pastor, although he didn't like the assistant title. But he was the lead. He was getting paid full-time and I was volunteering as yeah. a pastor. And I learned a ton in that season about what it means to lead a community and create a culture and and the hour demand to, to actually shape a culture in a way that's positive. Wow. Uh, and so, and by the way, I think bivocational is great, but this is one of the major downsides is it does take a lot of energy and time to shape a culture. And one of the, one of the functions of being in leadership and ministry is to do that. Mm. Uh, so, and then I got a job, literally my, I got married the day after my last final in college and <laughs> my undergrad, literally the day after. Wow. And yeah, it's starting spring that's semester. A, a two days. <laughs> it was, a, it was a crazy time. And then uh, a couple of months after that, I got a job at a tech startup. And I felt like Joseph in prison for the first like year of that job. Like, no, my colleagues hated me and I had to just head down and work as hard as I could. But then like Joseph, the CEO just noticed me and the, the, the C-level of that company noticed me and I got promoted and promoted and promoted so that in like a nine month span, I went from entry level to to, C, to VP of operations of wow. that company. Uh, making way more money than I ever thought I would make and enough money that my 19-year-old self would look in and want to smack me because it was like, he was like, you know, woe to the rich. Jesus is clear, (laughs) right? So, uh, so that was, and but at at the same time, I learned so much in the business sector about, about culture shaping Mm -hmm. because so much of the energy, especially on like the startup side of the world right now is about culture creation. Netflix had just come out with their culture statement, which was like, the hottest thing coming out of Silicon Valley at the time. I don't know if you've read that. And so I just, I learned a ton about, about culture shaping from, from lit working in the business sector and all the while getting the experience of church planting, getting the experience of home parachurch ministry, getting the experience of youth ministry, content creation, preaching. Uh, and then lastly, 
I learned it's really, really hard to balance the Christian life in the West because the West vocationally is demanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very, it's actually, it's gone are the days, I think, where 40 hours a week is the normal. Mm-hmm. And so I learned a ton. I learned a ton, a ton of that season. Came out here, actually still on the vocational track, uh, by vocational track. I came out here, my wife and I both moved to Grant County because we were off our jobs mm. uh, wow. at Tree of Life. And it just so happened that uh, the guy that just so happened, uh, God orchestrated it in such a way that the guy who owned the company that I was working for also started a church locally. And he eventually asked me to quit working for him at the company to work to work for him at the church. And then a few months later, he stepped down and Tyler and I co-lead exit. Mm. So now only recently have I been really vocational. So did that answer the question you had? Yeah. Okay. That did answer the question. Yeah, that's amazing. So if there's anything that you could tell 19-year-old Forrest from the perspective that you have now, specifically regarding like a call to ministry, what would that advice be? And this can apply to, you know, any high schooler who might be in like a similar situation who feels called into ministry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, uh, so I, I would point first to a few texts. Um, and this is going to sound funny, but it's, I recognize I want to model, even for myself, uh, how, how do we get to truth? And how do we, so I'd first go to the text and say, okay, so look at these, look at these major characters in history. Uh, Moses has, you know, 40 years in Egypt, 40 years in the desert. You know, it's like mm-hmm. he's a lot. And then he, and then he goes and starts, then he goes and starts leading people. By the way, for another 40 years in the desert. Yeah. Uh, uh, Abraham gets the calling to be, to have, to bear children. And it's another 40 year gap. It's a, Jesus has 30 years on 33 years in this earth. Only three of them are public ministry. And uh, to not despise the Lord's seasons of preparation mm. is the first thing I'd say. And the second I would say is um, a student who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Having good answers is not what it means to be in ministry. Be the kind of man that you would hope to make in someone else so that when you go stand before the Lord and are, and are held accountable for making those kinds of people, you can have your head up. Wow. Because if you have great answers and you feel like you're ready to go teach, but your rhythms of your life aren't the kind of rhythms you'd want to see happen normatively in the church, then, then you're not ready. And the last thing I'd say is be faithful to what God has immediately in front of you. And don't, don't look 10, ste- 10, 10 steps down the road and be like, when, why, why can't I do that yet? Uh, essentially what I would say is, yes, you're called to a destination and to, a, to, a, to something that you're also called to, the, to all the steps on the way. Um, it, the, a calling is not a destination simply. Um, your whole life is going to be producing something that you have to answer to the Lord for. And you need to be faithful on, on each of the successive steps. I mean, you might say it like this. King David, was, he was certainly called to be king. But he was also he also needed to be a son and a brother and a musician and a warrior and a servant. He needed to be all those things, uh, not only in order to be a good king because he does certainly draw from that stuff, but just to be the kind of man that God has him to be. And so, yeah, I would I would essentially look at my younger self and say, learn how to be content and be faithful to with what's in front of you. Uh, mm-hmm. this, your life is what you're called to at the end of the day. Yeah. Nice. That's it. And. The way we kind of like before we um, will ask you how we can pray for you. But before we we get to that, the one thing we like to end with is uh, me and Griffin will give you affirmations based off of everything we heard within your story and things that like 
kind of seeing the character of God within your life as you've been talking. Um, and one big affirmation I want to give you is that what you have expressed to a lot of people that are listening is that fall in love with the process. And what I mean by that is the contentment of realizing what the Lord is forming us as we are processing. Some, sometimes it can be like, I want to get to this stage. I want to start doing this. And we want to do that before we're formed into that likeness of Christ to be able to go and do these things that we call ministry. And one thing I want to affirm is it, it still, it seems like God is forming you and preparing you for the ministry you might do years from now and later down the road. And I think you going through that bifurcational process humbled you in a way really beautifully, like the Lord humbled you in a way to really love what you're doing beyond, you know, having the like lead position beyond, you know, getting to a certain position or getting to a certain pay in ministry. But it was generally because you just had this heart and this passion and that Charlie says this great, uh, one of our professors, Charlie Alcock, says this great statement about culture. And he's like, culture bleeds. Culture is something that um, when we set it and everything, it is something that people can see that has life in it itself. Um, and that just seems what you desire for your ministries and you desire for people to know the word in that way. And you desire for growth and we, students, even me, like I'll tell you this, as you were talking, I've, I've just been blessed by what you're saying. Cause it's like, don't, don't neglect the process. See how much it's growing and see how much when the timing is right for you to begin doing those things, it's going to be that, but be appreciate that a time like this, God is preparing you. And yeah, even I needed to hear that today. So, yeah. It's one of the front, like, uh, the intentional care you put into discipling um, those that are placed before you. I, I just think like you're mentoring me leading up to when I preached the exit for my preaching practicum, um, that care and dedication, like you said, it's not enough to have the right answers. And like you make sure to foster that in the people you disciple and leading them down a path where they know how to find the truth for themselves to, to look at different teachings and, and to analyze them and to um, you train them to train good disciples. And like, that's not in vain. And I know you're going to keep doing that. Um, and like, that's honestly something that I want to emulate as well as I move into uh, ministry next year as well. So thanks guys. Thanks for having me. No problem. How can we pray for you before we head out? Yeah. Um, pray that my little girl knows Jesus. That'd probably be the biggest mm. thing. Uh, yeah, that's, I did everything I can, but I, yeah. I think that's like the, that's like the most recurring thing. I'll tell you what, uh, my prayer life has been way better being a dad. So, uh, so maybe, and you could, maybe you could, as a tertiary bit, that the culture of my home would foster a walk with the Lord. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, Lord, um, we just come to you now and we thank you so much that uh, Force was able to come on to our show, Lord, and just share his call to ministry. Number one, just thank you um, for all that you have done in his life. Lord, you have refined this man. Um, and I know that the man we have sitting before us is an example of your work, Lord. 
And God, I just pray for his daughter, Eden. Lord, may she, as she grows up and her parents begin to parent her and as the culture of their household begins to foster, Lord, I pray that her mom and dad are just examples of you and that you use that, Lord, or whatever else that might be surrounding her, but that that leads her into having a desire to have a relationship with you, Lord, that she knows you, that she understands how deep, how wide, how great truly the love of the Lord is. God, may she now, just as she's growing up, may I pray that she knows a life where she constantly has seen the work of the Lord and she understands how amazing you are, God. And Lord, for force as he just is a father to her and God, what an example, what a call that fathers can be that Lord, um, you set the perfect example of what it means to be a father, that someone could equally be our father, but also be our best friend. And that's something that in our culture, so many people have a hard time balancing, but Lord, I pray that Forrest, is, even he says that his prayer life has just gotten better and better because of being a dad, that within him that begins to set a fire in his soul to be more like you, Lord. And again, that when Eden sees her dad or sees her mom, that she just doesn't see Danielle or she doesn't just see Forrest, or she doesn't just see mom, she doesn't just see dad, but your face shines upon them. And Lord, I know that when we see your face, when we see that light, it can change our whole entire lives. So Lord, I just pray that. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for days like this, where we get to just celebrate what you have done. Lord, we love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Amen. guys. No problem. Thanks for being here, Forrest. It's been a pleasure. And I want to, as always, throw a special shout out and thank you to the band Caledonia for providing all the music you hear on our podcast today. Um, you can find them um, at Official Caledonia on Instagram. Or you can click on their Bandcamp link down in the show notes below to check out some of their music there. As always, right. thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Love y'all. Bye. See you next week.